Section 45 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6, by various authors. Section 45. The Amphitheatre, from the Last Days of Pompeii. Part 2. The door swung gratingly back. The gleam of spears shot along the wall. Glaucus, the Athenian, thy time has come, said a loud and clear voice. The lion awaits thee. I am ready, said the Athenian. Brother and co-mate, one last embrace. Bless me, and farewell. The Christian opened his arms. He clasped the young heathen to his breast. He kissed his forehead and cheek. He sobbed aloud. His tears flowed fast and hot over the features of his new friend. Oh, could I have converted thee, I had not wept. Oh, that I might say to thee, we too shall sup this night in paradise. It may be so yet, answered the Greek with a tremulous voice. They whom death parts now may yet meet beyond the grave. On the earth, oh, the beautiful, the beloved earth, farewell forever. Where the officer, I attend you. Glaucus tore himself away, and when he came forth into the air, its breath, which, though sunless, was hot and arid, smote withering upon him. His frame, not yet restored from the effects of the deadly draught, shrank and trembled. The officers supported him. Courage, said one. Thou art young, active, well-knit. They give thee a weapon. Despair not, and thou mayest yet conquer. Glaucus did not reply, but ashamed of his infirmity, he made a desperate and convulsive effort and regained the firmness of his nerves. They anointed his body, completely naked, save by a cincture round the loins, placed the stylus, vain weapon, in his hand, and led him into the arena. And now when the Greek saw the eyes of thousands and tens of thousands upon him, he no longer felt that he was mortal. All evidence of fear, all fear itself, was gone. A red and haughty flush spread over the paleness of his features. He towered aloft to the full of his glorious stature. In the elastic beauty of his limbs and form, in his intent but unfrowning brow, in the high disdain, and in the indomitable soul which breathed visibly, which spoke audibly from his attitude, his lip, his eye, he seemed the very incarnation, vivid and corporeal, of the valor of his land, of the divinity of its worship, at once a hero and a god. The murmur of hatred and horror at his crime, which had greeted his entrance, died into the silence of involuntary admiration and half-compassionate respect, and with a quick and convulsive sigh that seemed to move the whole mass of life as if it were one body, the gaze of the spectators turned from the Athenian to a dark, uncouth object in the center of the arena. It was the grated den of the lion. "'By Venus, how warm it is!' said Fulvia. "'Yet there is no sun. Would that those stupid sailors could have fastened up that gap in the awning!' "'Oh, it is warm indeed. I turn sick. I faint,' said the wife of Pansa, even her experienced stoicism giving way at the struggle about to take place.' 
The lion had been kept without food for twenty-four hours, and the animal had, during the whole morning, testified a singular and restless uneasiness which the keeper had attributed to the pangs of hunger, and yet its bearing seemed rather that of fear than of rage. Its roar was painful and distressed. It hung its head, snuffed the air through the bars, then lay down, started again, and again uttered its wild and far-resounding cries and now in its den it lay utterly dumb and mute with distended nostrils forced hard against the grating and disturbing with a heaving breath the sand below on the arena the editor's lip quivered and his cheek grew pale he looked anxiously around hesitated delayed the crowd became impatient slowly he gave the sign the keeper who was behind the den cautiously removed the grating and the lion leaped forth with a mighty and glad roar of release. The keeper hastily retreated through the grated passage leading from the arena, and left the lord of the forest and his prey. Glaucus had bent his limbs so as to give himself the firmest posture at the expected rush of the lion, with his small and shining weapon raised on high, in the faint hope that the one well-directed thrust for he knew that he should have time but for one might penetrate through the eye to the brain of his grim foe but to the unutterable astonishment of all the beast seemed not even aware of the presence of the criminal at the first moment of its release it halted abruptly in the arena raised itself half on end snuffing the upward air with impatient signs and then suddenly it sprang forward but not on the athenian at half speed it circled round and round the space turning its vast head from side to side with an anxious and perturbed gaze as if seeking only some avenue of escape once or twice it endeavoured to leap up on the parapet that divided it from the audience and on falling uttered rather a baffled howl than its deep toned and kingly roar it evinced no sign either of wrath or hunger its tail drooped along the sand instead of lashing its gaunt sides, and its eye, though it wandered at times to Glaucus, rolled again listlessly from him. At length, as if tired of attempting to escape, it crept with a moan into its cage, and once more laid itself down to rest. The first surprise of the assembly at the apathy of the lion soon grew converted into resentment at its cowardice and the populace already merged their pity for the fate of Glaucus into angry compassion for their own disappointment. The editor called to the keeper, How is this? Take the goad, prick him forth, and then close the door of the den. As the keeper, with some fear but more astonishment, was preparing to obey, a loud cry was heard at one of the entrances of the arena. There was a confusion, a bustle, voices of remonstrance suddenly breaking forth, and suddenly silence at the reply. All eyes turned in wonder at the interruption toward the quarter of the disturbance. The crowd gave way, and suddenly Sallust appeared on the senatorial benches, his hair disheveled, breathless, heated, half-exhausted. He cast his eyes hastily round the ring. "'Remove the Athenian!' he cried. "'Haste! He is innocent!' Arrest Arbaces, the Egyptian. He is the murderer of Apicides. Art thou mad, O Sallust? said the praetor, rising from his seat. What means this raving? Remove the Athenian, quick, or his blood be on your head, praetor. Delay, and you answer with your own life to the emperor. 
I bring with me the eyewitness to the death of the priest of Pisides. Room there, stand back, give way. People of Pompeii, fix every eye upon Arbaces. There he sits. Room there for the priest, Calenus. Pale, haggard, fresh from the jaws of famine and of death, his face fallen, his eyes dull as a vulture's, his broad frame gaunt as a skeleton, Calenus was supported into the very row in which Arbaces sat. His releasers had given him sparingly of food, but the chief sustenance that nerved his feeble limbs was revenge. The priest Calenus! Calenus! cried the mob. It is he? No, it is a dead man. It is the priest Calenus, said the praetor gravely. What hast thou to say? Arbaces of Egypt is the murderer of Apicides, the priest of Isis. These eyes saw him deal the blow. It is from the dungeon into which he plunged me. It is from the darkness and horror of a death by famine that the gods have raised me to proclaim his crime. Release the Athenian. He is innocent. It is for this, then, that the lion spared him. A miracle, a miracle, cried the panza. A miracle, a miracle, shouted the people. Remove the Athenian. Our bases to the lion. And that shout echoed from hill to vale, from coast to sea, our bases to the lion. Officers, remove the accused Glaucus. Remove, but guard him yet, said the praetor. The gods lavish their wonders upon this day. As the praetor gave the word of release, there was a cry of joy, a female voice, a child's voice, and it was of joy. It rang through the heart of the assembly with electric force. It was touching. It was holy, that child's voice, and the populace echoed it back with sympathizing congratulation. Silence, said the grave praetor. Who is there? The blind girl, Nidia, answered Sallust. It is her hand that has raised Calenus from the grave and delivered Glaucus from the lion. Of this hereafter, said the praetor. Calenus, priest of Isis, thou accusest Arbasis of the murder of Apicides? I do. Thou didst behold the deed? Praetor, with these eyes. Enough at present. The details must be reserved for more suiting time and place. Arbaces of Egypt, thou hearest the charge against thee. Thou hast not yet spoken. What hast thou to say? The gaze of the crowd had been long riveted on Arbaces. But not until the confusion which he had betrayed at the first charge of Sallust and the entrance of Calenus had subsided. At the shout, Arbaces to the lion, he had indeed trembled, and the dark bronze of his cheek had taken a paler hue, but he had soon recovered his haughtiness and self-control. Proudly he returned the angry glare of the countless eyes about him, and replying now to the question of the praetor, he said, in that accent so peculiarly tranquil and commanding which characterized his tones, Praetor! This charge is so mad that it scarcely deserves reply. My first accuser is the noble Sallust, the most intimate friend of Glaucus. My second is a priest. I revere his garb and calling, but, people of Pompeii, ye know somewhat of the character of Calenus. He is gripping and gold-thirsty to a proverb, the witness of such men is to be bought. Praetor, I am innocent. Sallust, said the magistrate, where found you, Calenus? In the dungeons of Arbasis. Egyptian, said the praetor, frowning, 
Thou didst then dare to imprison a priest of the gods, and wherefore? Hear me, answered Arbaces, rising calmly, but with agitation visible in his face. This man came to threaten that he would make against me the charge he has now made, unless I would purchase his silence with half my fortune. I remonstrated in vain. Peace there, let not the priest interrupt me. Noble Praetor, and ye, O people, I was a stranger in the land. I knew myself innocent of crime, but the witness of a priest against me might yet destroy me. In my perplexity I decoyed him to the cell whence he has been released, on pretense that it was the coffer-house of my gold. I resolved to detain him there until the fate of the true criminal was sealed and his threats could avail no longer. But I meant no worse. I may have erred. But who among ye will not acknowledge the equity of self-preservation? Were I guilty, why was the witness of this priest silent at the trial? Then I had not detained or concealed him. Why did he not proclaim my guilt when I proclaimed that of Glaucus? Praetor, this needs an answer. For the rest I throw myself on your laws. I demand their protection. Remove hence the accused and the accuser. I will willingly meet and cheerfully abide by the decision of the legitimate tribunal. This is no place for further parley. He says right, said the praetor. Ho, guards, remove our bases. Guard Galenus, Sallust, we hold you responsible for your accusation. Let the sports be resumed. What? cried Galenus, turning round to the people. Shall Isis be thus condemned? Shall the blood of Apicides yet cry for vengeance? Shall justice be delayed now, that it may be frustrated hereafter? Shall the lion be cheated of the lawful prey? A god, a god, I feel the god rush to my lips, to the lion, to the lion with Arbaces. His exhausted frame could support no longer the ferocious malice of the priest. He sank on the ground in strong convulsions. The foam gathered to his mouth. He was as a man, indeed, whom a supernatural power had entered. The people saw and shuddered. It is a god that inspires the holy man. To the lion with the Egyptian! With that cry upsprang, unmoved, thousands upon thousands. They rushed from the heights. They poured down in the direction of the Egyptian. In vain did the Edile command. In vain did the praetor lift his voice and proclaim the law. The people had been already rendered savage by the exhibition of blood. They thirsted for more. Their superstition was aided by their ferocity. Aroused, inflamed by the spectacle of their victims, they forgot the authority of their rulers. It was one of those dread popular convulsions common to crowds wholly ignorant, half free and half servile, and which the peculiar constitution of the Roman provinces so frequently exhibited. The power of the praetor was a reed beneath the whirlwind. Still, at his word, the guards had drawn themselves along the lower benches on which the upper classes sat separate from the vulgar. They made but a feeble barrier. The waves of the human sea halted for a moment to enable Arbaces to count the exact moment of his doom. In despair, and in a terror which beat down even pride, he glanced his eye over the rolling and rushing crowd, when right above them, through the wide chasm which had been left in the Valeria, he beheld a strange and awful apparition. 
he beheld and his craft restored his courage he stretched his hand on high over his lofty brow and royal features there came an expression of unutterable solemnity and command behold he shouted with a voice of thunder which stilled the roar of the crowd behold how the gods protect the guiltless the fires of the avenging orcus burst forth against the false witness of my accusers the eyes of the crowd followed the gesture of the egyptian and beheld with dismay a vast vapor shooting from the summit of vesuvius in the form of a gigantic pine tree the trunk blackness the branches fire a fire that shifted and wavered in its hues with every moment now fiercely luminous now of a dull and dying red that again blazed terrifically forth with intolerable glare there was a dead heart-sunken silence through which there suddenly broke the roar of the lion which was echoed back from within the building by the sharper and fiercer yells of its fellow beast dread seers were they of the burden of the atmosphere and wild prophets of the wrath to come then there arose on high the universal shrieks of women the men stared at each other but were dumb at that moment they felt the earth shake under their feet the walls of the theater trembled and beyond in the distance they heard the crash of falling roofs an instant more and the mountain clouds seemed to roll toward them dark and rapid like a torrent at the same time it cast forth from its bosom a shower of ashes mixed with vast fragments of burning stone over the crushing vines over the desolate streets over the amphitheatre itself far and wide with many a mighty splash in the agitated sea felt that awful shower no longer thought the crowd of justice or of our bases safety for themselves were their sole thought each turned to fly each dashing pressing crushing against the other trampling recklessly over the fallen amid groans and oaths and prayers and sudden shrieks the enormous crowd vomited itself forth through the numerous passages whither should they fly some anticipating a second earthquake hastened to their homes to load themselves with their more costly goods and escape while it was yet time others dreading the showers of ashes that now fell fast torrent upon torrent over the streets rushed under the roofs of the nearest houses or temples or sheds shelter of any kind for protection from the terrors of the open air but darker and larger and mightier spread the cloud above them it was a sudden and more ghastly night rushing upon the realm of noon End of section 45